Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Southsource Ohana. In today's episode, I am joined by Rohit Kumar. Rohit is the CTO of Venerate Solutions and also a Salesforce certified technical architect. Through the episode, we hear more about Rohit's early career and then discuss how he moved into the Salesforce ecosystem and some of the challenges that he's taken on over the years, including working in Europe and how he benefited and enjoyed this experience, and then returning to India and working directly for Salesforce. Rohit, provides a really interesting insight into the growth of the Salesforce ecosystem in India. It was really fascinating to hear some of the challenges that he faces and has faced from working in the region and how the region continues to grow and is expected to continue growing over the coming years. We hear more about Rohit's CTA journey, how the journey unfolded and some of the key factors behind his success. And then we look at why he felt there was an opportunity and a gap in the market for the consulting business that he is now the CTO of and the gap that they are plugging, which includes the RPA space. And it was interesting to hear how RPA complements Salesforce. We look at how Rohit's business is developing talent and bringing new people into the ecosystem. So a really, really interesting insight into Rohit's career and also the Indian Salesforce market and to really get some insight into how the market has grown there and some of the challenges that they see with the different user numbers and and volume of transactions that aren't seen anywhere else in the world. So yeah, really, really interesting insight. I really hope you enjoy the episode. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Rohit, thank you so much for joining me. Really, really excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. I'm excited equally. My pleasure. So we've got a lot to cover. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you'll know we start right at the back at the very beginning and explore how you've ended up in this position. So what was it that first attracted you to working with computers? And what did you first do when you started working? When I was a kid, I always had a plan of starting up an organization. And uh, I did some sort of research around what is that I can do and where do I can I have a maximum impact? And at the same time, I had some sort of a background on computers, you know, uh, during my higher education. And for the fact that I loved logics, reasoning, I ended up start uh, a plan to pursue computers because I thought at that point in time that maybe it's a place where I can contribute being all alone as well, you know, contribute more from a product and, and, and other perspective. And I loved solving problem and to me computers it's a way uh, using which you can impact a business by solving uh, problems in a digital way so were you interested in being a programmer was that what first attracted you being able to to write a piece of code and and seeing an output from the system or uh, was it just computers in general no it was always programming i started uh, the journey with basic programming uh, and I was somewhere around in very, very, very small, probably studying in seventh or eighth standard at that point in time. What I loved the most was problem solving. I remember we used to use basic programming to, you know, primarily write codes for uh, prime number, even number, Fibonacci series back in school, right? But then we started using that to see how do I build small games 
now in, in team. So I enjoyed what it had to offer, you know, more than I knew at that point in time. You know, mm-hmm. I was quite fascinated with my teachers, you know, used to say that this is being used for billing yeah, and then receipts and a lot more at that point in time. And that's what always fascinated me around how good it is to solve or automate uh, different problems in hand. Yeah, yeah nice. So when you first entered the workforce, what were you doing? What were you, I'm guessing a programmer, but what were your first couple of roles? The first, I would say, achievement I had was, this is when you had output very popular. So I designed a, a social networking site for universities at that point in time. That was, again, a contest by Microsoft. And then uh, I was among top 10 winner in India at that point in time. Then uh, Facebook? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I was not there in, on Facebook at that, you know, at that point in time when I, when I did that, but I was a very strong user of Orkut. Uh, this is somewhere around 2006, seven, I would say, uh, uh, around 2006, I would say. Sure. The first biggest thing I did, uh, you know, apart from this was I worked uh, with Indian Space Research Organization to design the first nanosatellite. Well, I was primarily responsible for uh, writing the RTOS, which is real-time operating system for onboard computers. That's the heart of any satellite. And that was the first nanosatellite for India uh, within 10 kg of weight. That was my first exposure as well to programming on you know, microcontrollers and, and, and you know mix of electronics and programming. Was there for a couple of years, designed the satellite, then I you know, wanted to move on and do something more onto web and, you know, come out of system-based programming. That's where I joined an organization in India. And then with, they introduced me to Salesforce. My initial thought was that this is, is a very basic tool. You know, the first three day or four days of training, uh, when you go through the training guide, I was always thinking, that why am I even going through this training? Uh, this is this all about drag and drop. And, and you know, this is like... Uh, data input, data output. But eventually that perception, I realized that I was wrong in that. But a lot of my exposure and, and I would say back, uh, learning came in the first four years of my engagement with that organization where I was very much into Salesforce and transformation for a lot of large customers globally. So you started off um, your career in Salesforce uh, as a programmer again and then progressed into architecture? And no, I started my career with the pro in Salesforce from a domain and a tech perspective. And I started as a programmer, grew as a consultant, worked in Europe for a couple of years, you know, on behalf of them for a few large pharmaceutical customers, helped them in a global rollout and transformation. That's where my learning and exposure beyond Salesforce and around Salesforce came in. And that's where uh, the exposure of entire digital transformation came in because there are a lot of marketing solutions, et cetera, from third Oracle and other organizations that we collated together to bring in an element of transformation for them. But then I moved out from the, that organization, you know, once, once I was a consultant and I joined Salesforce. Yeah, and then there I grew as an architect and a CTA and then I came out to start my entrepreneurship journey. So you mentioned you went to Europe for a while. You went for a few years, I think. Did your career benefit from going to Europe and experiencing that kind of onshore? Oh, yes. yes, definitely. I've worked in numerous countries in Europe for a good amount of time. And, and what I've realized is when you meet the actual end users uh, and, and, and business, right, 
uh, you understand the impact that you are creating and and the the impact on positive and the negative side as well the impact that you've created by delivering the right solution at the same time the impact that business will have if you don't deliver it in the right way or if you know it goes faulty uh, post go live you know what's the dollar value loss and when you meet them when you want translate the the needs or technical requirements from a, a look a look at it from a business lens you know you the the thought process would change because then you you would think about how do you add values values in a way where you can deliver something right and you'll also start thinking around to make business sustain what is that i can deliver okay i can't do everything but can i do an mvp for them what is the optimized way of delivering a solution to them so it definitely benefited and uh, i think uh, having a business exposure early in your career will always help right it doesn't matter what hat you're playing even if you should technically but being exposed to business and understanding the details around it would always help definitely so you then returned to india and you joined salesforce what was the ecosystem like in india at that point and how have you seen it evolve over the years frankly the ecosystem was at that point in time was not like at all around what we have today when i started my career i mean having one or two cert was big deal at that point in time the number of people in the ecosystem was not much and the demand was there but even uh, salesforce was not very well known at that point in time among the ecosystem today the way i see is a the technology itself is no more a crm flat is no more just a crm product it is transformed into you know big platform right for sales service marketing and any apps automations right and it has enriched itself with a lot of ai capabilities industry solutions analytics and rpa etc so the ecosystem from a tech offering perspective have changed which also means that the impact that now people can you know can have on the society is huge you no longer have to introduce what salesforce is you know uh, uh, when i was starting my career you know if you say i work on salesforce the thought process they would everyone had was okay some sort of a tool for sales automation you know no way could no one could relate it to what exactly the product is about you know it's a us headquartered company the, the reach of the product and the flavor that you have in fact the term itself was not very popular that's no more the case it's very popular there are graduates undergraduate students now who wants to learn and who wants to build a career in this tech so that has grown uh, exponentially i would say in last 10 to 15 years yeah i was going to say can you remember when that changed because like from from the outside looking in to the indian um ecosystem I can, I know it's really passionate about Salesforce and and like the the previous um dreaming events that have run there like the turnout and the 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 fanfare there is incredible but can you remember when it became the platform that people wanted to work on compared to a platform pe- people didn't really know what it was I feel the change was gradual there's been a good amount of investment that the company has done in the dev ecosystem for that I remember somewhere around 2012 we had arranged for a hackathon you know we invited a lot of people uh, in bangalore to come down for it somewhere uh, that's where i could feel the change happening in the market where, you know mvp started coming up right and they started writing about the product i would say somewhere in from 2013 to 15 the ecosystem and the demand and and know how of, of the product changed and and that's where from lack of interest 
uh, or from being uninterested to being very much interested you know, to build your career on Salesforce, the transformation of change that had happened. 2015 onwards, in fact, the, the way uh, the branding of the product was done has changed. Yeah, so somewhere around that time period, I would say that change has happened. And are you seeing now many customers in India using Salesforce as opposed to you know people working on overseas products but or projects? But are you seeing a, a big uptake in in people buying licenses um, for for businesses in India? Yes. So that was uh, something that we did a lot last ten years. Today, if I see most of emerging companies or tech based startups, you have Salesforce presence, but. You name the organization, uh, enterprise, in the enterprise space, mid-market uh, space, etc. There is Salesforce being used in big or small way. But the big thing I have seen is, I have seen Salesforce being used as a platform that is directly impacting the business, right? We've got lending companies where the entire lending solution is built on top of Salesforce. We have the banks or NBFCs running the entire platform, you know, the core business on Salesforce. We have got edtech companies who's running their entire core part of their tutoring, mentoring business on Salesforce. We've got e-com app companies doing the same. And now we've got, I would say, manufacturing companies running their distributor and dealer management, DMS apps and solutions on Salesforce. So uh, the change has happened. Everyone seen the impact. And, and you know, uh, we've recently got, uh, it's been a while now, but the, uh, data center uh, has come down to India as well, which means that while the enterprise and private sector market, the penetration has been great, now we can see the same change in the public sector as well. As a partner engaged in uh, this market mode around transformation and implementation, I see surge in demand. I see sur exponential surge in demand you know, uh, of, for implementations and for products, you know, something that can help them transform their business. Primarily after COVID or, you know, uh, first year of COVID. So from uh, somewhere, uh, I would say mid of 2020 to now, there's been the, the, the number of demands and the requests that we get per week has just got doubled from customers. Everyone wants to get onto that digital transformation journey because they've understood the impact, importance of centralizing themselves and controlling business in a way that is less uh, dependent on your activities on the field, etc. So the demand has increased, which also means that the adoption of the platform and the popularity and the comfort and the confidence of the platform has also increased. And this is, you're, you're saying also in, in India for a business is using from India perspective. Because you're also India. seeing that globally, right, in terms of all of the industries yeah. you've mentioned. And I know that, that Salesforce have projected the growth in India to be so much greater yeah. than other regions. So it's really exciting for someone that's on the ground there to, to be talking about the change that you're seeing because, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great to see that that's actually unfolding. So the good thing is uh, if you want to build your expertise in B2B market, Global market is the right, I mean, could be a right destination for you. But if you want to build yourself in B2C market and test your skills and capability of building a solution that can scale for that market, I think India is the right place. When I talk about scale, I'm talking about solutions where you, know, where you can have seven to 10 millions of API hits per day. When, when we talk about cross-cloud and multi-cloud implementation, right? But when you look at India, it's all about cross-cloud or maybe single-cloud implementation, but it's about scale. 
how do you deliver a solution you know that can scale in a b2c space right that can scale exponentially if you look at india as a market right uh, it's a consumer market and we are one of the second most populated country right the number of consumers are very high so it's about if there's a b2c solution you will always look at solution that can have a hit of around 10 million api per day you'll talk about a solution where you can have terabytes of data and there are customers who has it right now how do you build a solution right with the right archival strategy with the right choice of platform you know that will allow you to scale to millions and millions of records in one single table objects at the same time you know connect with your archival or any other system to kind of read the data which is in terabytes how do you do it in a way that so that the turn on time is very minimal so we've uh, had customers where we've tested platform capability to the core right you look yeah. at how does every how we think around you know uh, we thought around how do i reduce the the load time of pages on mobile app how do i improve the efficiency because the bandwidth you may not always be on a lte mode you may have low you may be in a low network zone right how do you improve the performance and then how do you generate analytics and lot of stuff all of it so it's a complex uh, market when you talk about scale just because of the this is a consumer driven market and but that that, that that's where you fun you can solve problems you can do a lot of innovative stuff on top of a platform along with the isv support we have right and to find something which is unique yeah it's interesting i've not thought of it like that like you're facing challenges on salesforce that not really anyone else globally are facing you know like you said the second biggest population so it's interesting to think about the concept of as salesforce grows and grows in the region the, the different challenges that you'll be facing that other people just won't know about or won't have experience this episode of talent hub talk is sponsored by our friends from flow republic Flow Republic is a Salesforce Architect Academy that works with individuals and businesses to upskill and prepare Salesforce architects for the CTA Review Board. They also have a number of other offerings, including coaching and guiding on areas such as soft skills, consulting, and design training. Flow Republic are some of the brightest minds in the Salesforce ecosystem and have a proven track record of developing Salesforce professionals and helping architects to reach their goal of becoming a CTA. To find out more about the value they can add, please check out flowrepublic.com. So you are you are a CTA, and I'm interested to hear how that journey panned out. So how, how did that become a goal, I guess, while you were at Salesforce? And that was uh, something that, that you, uh, I guess, identified. But how did that journey play out for you? If you look at CTA pattern, right, you have to appear for a, a MCQ exam and then and followed by, that's what was earlier, and that was followed by you have to then go and appear in front of a board where you get a scenario right presented then they rate you so somewhere around 2016 is when i decided to pursue the cta track wrote the mcq exam and then i was eligible for that the next round but then it took me almost two to three years to prep uh first year was completely gone because i was quite occupied with some very complex engagement with your customers and then 2017 mid is when Picked up, I picked up on the journey again with a couple of my colleagues and a mentor, a few colleagues who wanted to also pursue this journey and then a mentor who was already a CTA. It was good one and a half years of time that we spent, primarily, where the point we all had was, 
one, let's not just do uh, read and or practice for this exam. Uh, like you just have to pass and come out, but let's do it in a way uh, that once I'm done with the whole preparation, I should be empowered to behave like an enterprise architect. And I should be in a position to talk to any CXO, right? And help them understand their digital transformation journey using what we have from the platform and outside the platform, right? So our goal was that, and with keeping that goal in mind, you know, structured the whole uh, preparation into certain domains. That's also evident from different exams that Salesforce has now. So we structured the whole preparation into nine domains. I spent two, two, two weeks or three weeks each domain. We went into depth. We you know, had a lot of uh, sessions around Q&A, prepared different scenarios, you know, tried to solve those scenarios, present to each other, you know, our colleagues and peers, get their feedback. So almost if I take nine certs, right, and three weeks each, I'm talking about 20 to 25 to 27 weeks is what we spent just preparing ourselves on domains where we strengthened ourselves on different clouds uh, we strengthened ourselves. I mean, I personally strengthened myself on the capability from an integration perspective, identity and access management, last data volume, licenses, application design, data model strategy, uh, data migration strategy, and a lot more, right? Once that was done, then we spent, I probably would have spent three more months, you know, on trying to solve scenarios which is combined uh, with all these domains that I'm looking at, right? So it was like, you know, going back to your university days when you slog, work, read, work, read, right? So did that time, the time I was taking and uh, to solve those papers at my time, I believe we were given two hours to solve a scenario. Now I believe it's three hours, uh, but you know, uh, when I went, it was two hours to solve, it was the time that was given I need to solve the paper. So time the whole preparation in a way that I could do it in the right way had to make a lot of choices and decisions around uh, what would I use to solve the scenario, right? You get an options of either using your computer where you can build a solution and presentation on PowerPoint or you can do flip charts. Yeah. I, I was more comfortable doing it on flip chart and uh, the only challenge I had was my handwriting. So I had to just make sure that it's written in a way that everyone can read, but I opted for that. So again, Prepared, keeping that in mind, the next step, which is more critical is there's no right and wrong. I mean, when you look at scenarios, right, you may would have solved it in a certain way, which as a judge, I would not think about, right? I may want want you to use, let's say, a specific type of relationship, right? But I may have different perspective to it. So what's really important is how do you articulate around what were the choices you made, right? Mm -hmm. What was the key decision factor for you to go ahead with a specific kind of a solution, right? And it's also important for you to reflect on, have you thought around the long-term vision, right? What happens tomorrow if I want to scale with a solution that I'm proposing, right? So 45 minutes is what typically you get to present that to board of judges, right? And you need to make sure that your presentation is very much articulative. It's in the pace is in a way that everyone can understand what you're trying to say. And you are also giving yourself enough of time to explain that, right? And then, so so my challenge was on more than solving a problem because I've been into this ecosystem for long. It was more around articulating it in a way that it's well understood by the team, right? So I had to spend three months, not just solving the papers, but 
play it, repeat it, and present it again and again to see how good uh, I'm able to and how good I'm from a timing perspective. And if the choice of words that I have is, and the lingo that I'm using is right. And that's again, uh, something I would say to everyone, right? Use the right lingo, use the right words when you articulate the solution, right? And also then you've got a, a Q&A, which if you're technically good, you know what you have done, you would be able to do well. But again, uh, I'd, uh, when I appeared for the exam, I'd gone with an open mind that in case if I get a feedback, uh, I would consider the feedback, think quickly about it. And if I feel his, uh, the, the feedback is right, I'll see how does it impact my solution and go back. Otherwise, I'll justify and defend my solution, saying why I've gone ahead with a specific approach. So one challenge I had during the preparation was time because you don't sit idle when you have to prepare. I was on an active project and was working actively and I had got recently married at that point in time. So I had to, to you know, make sure that I'm able to spend ample amount of time with my family as well. So I did struggle. And that's why if you see 2016, I, I took three years to go and write the exam. But, but the, the point was that even for those uh, three years, I for the last two years, one thing I had to very religiously do was uh, put some sort of a discipline. Uh, my daily routine right and follow it so i had to time every every stuff i did in those two years was timed in a way that if i have to wake up at a specific time and i have to wake up two hours of study one hour of preparation then office then travel then again so the timing is very important and uh, that's another learning that you get out of the whole uh, preparation right it's not about you qualifying for it it's about you being transformed in the whole journey of two, three, or one year, right? More time you get take, more good it is for you because the transformation will help you in future. It's not just a, a, a certificate that will help you. So those transformation of being punctual, you know, committing yourself to certain rules and process that you want to adhere to and ensuring you are doing it is very important. So yeah, I had to follow a very strict routine for two years where I had little time for my family. Weekends were gone in preparation and, and you know, studying it in the right way. And that is what helped me. And I, I love that concept of, um, you, you know, your goal was to become a CTA, but the, the overall picture was to be able to have a architectural discussion at the CXO level. And I think a lot of people kind of forget that ultimately the, the CTA is an enabler of that. The CTA is a goal, but it's about being the best architect you can be, right? And and broadening your skill set, and and uh, and and that's, I guess, sometimes as important as passing is is the journey that you go on to to become the best architect that you can be. Yeah, yeah. So uh, also a point is technology is not going to be constant. Anything you learn is already outdated. That's a fact, right? And the problems are not going to be the same every time you meet a customer. Every customer is unique and they have their unique problem. And they don't, they don't really care if you're a CTA or if you're a developer. What they really care is, can you solve the problem? And can you give me the right advice and solution, right? So it's very important that you are a CTA or you're not a CTA, it doesn't matter. Are you able to react to the customer challenge? and solve it in a way that it's a win-win situation is what's really important, right? CTA, if you, is something as, as I said, right? If you do it in the right way, the time that you invest in preparation is 
actually an enabler for you. Uh, you know, so it, it's like you are practicing to go for a war, right? So you need to practice really well so that you can do well. And every day is war. Every yeah. day when you meet a customer, it's a different sort of a challenge. And every day you have to prove yourself that why you are worthy of it. Otherwise, there, you know, you'll be out the next day. Sure. So since uh, since then, and and uh, kind of more recently, you've you've um, formed your own business. What was it that attracted you to doing that? And and that must have been a big decision leaving Salesforce, being a Salesforce technical architect. And um, you know, how did that journey and and the, the plans come together? So that was always the plan, uh, as I said right before when I moved into my uh, transition days or when I was a kid. That was always a plan to kind of start something. But it was the idea was to do it in a constructive and a structured way, right? Uh, where I can de-risk uh, a lot of components. Uh, CTA was one of the enablers that helped me de-risk and kind of ensure that I no matter what happens, I have stability in my career. I may have stability, you know, from uh, my career perspective. Why did I leave, and why did I wanted to do this? The simple objective was impact, right? My simple motto was to, one is to create an impact in the ecosystem where, you know, the ROI from the product is higher. Second, uh, really help a large and, and small organizations in their transformation journey and more onto consulting from by, by providing the right amount of consulting that I can. Third, I would say was also around how do I enable more people, right? into this ecosystem and how do I help them grow and save their career, right? How do I guide, mentor, coach them in the right way? And um, obviously contribute more from an innovation perspective, think beyond Salesforce, using Salesforce, that's an important point. When I say beyond Salesforce, tech is not going to be the same tomorrow, right? How do you use things and innovation that is there from small, large, medium organizations? Use that along with Salesforce to bring in an element of change and solve problems that has not been solved. So those were the four key reasons for, you know, I stepped out in a new journey. And what, what did you see as the gap then in terms of what, what was out there from a consulting perspective that, that you needed to do differently to other consulting businesses? So what is missing today is uh, technology consulting. You've got large consulting players who could and who can do process consulting, right? And a business consulting. And then there are large players who can implement. But if you look at the way they do it, they'll come to you and say, what do you want, right? And you have to tell them, this is what I want. Nobody will come to you and say, "What? where do you want to go in the next five years, right? What are your aspirations? And what are your problems today? And then come back and say, look, we can do it. We can help you reach from point A to point B and point B to point C in the next five years if you follow this technology roadmap. You may get a good advice around what you should be doing next five years, but what's important is how do you execute that plan, right? For the execution, today there's a gap. And this is one of the gap ads in the market where until unless someone does justice to you and to the customer from a technology consulting perspective and can help convert their vision into a plan that can be executed over a period of years, it's not going to work. We are trying to fix that problem by bringing in element of right consulting and that right layer of execution. And that is what one of our core principles is. 
And and you've um, you're doing Salesforce, but then you also have an RPA offering. We're seeing now in Australia more consulting companies that are doing RPA as well as Salesforce. How do they come together, and and what where where do they kind of marry? So the lot of use cases. So that's other point I said right. How do you bring in element of digital transformation with Salesforce and others tech around Salesforce, right, to help the customer? So what we do is not just Salesforce. We do RPA. There are apps on different uh, cloud. So uh, I would say. IAS platforms, we do a lot of work around AWS and analytics and other stuff. But from an RPA perspective, there are a lot of areas where it can help. You know, simple problem statement being, you know, how do you, it can really help bring in a lot of element of transformation, automation, and it can help you improve productivity at call centers. Or for your internal HR or employee desk, for example, look, think of there are use cases where on a monthly basis, the finance team may need some sort of financial reports, you know, coming out from Oracle or, or other apps. And what happens today is someone will download those reports, the team will raise a ticket in either on Salesforce or on ServiceNow, and then you know, someone will download the report, attach and send it, right? You can automate these things very quickly using RPA, mm-hmm. okay? It's not that you can't automate using other op- ways, but the approach is very quick. Not just that, you know, you can automate the way requests are received from customers. Like if you're receiving requests from omni-channel and you want to kind of understand the intent and quickly act and close the ticket without a human intervention, to a certain extent also we can do it using RPA. So I would say that three, at least we operate at a couple of levels. One is we help the implement, improve the adoption and the quality of implementation using RPA more at a functional and a process automation level. Second mode of RPA deployment that we do is more at a tech level where, you know, bots that could help you improve integrations. This may not just be around Salesforce, but, you know, around the entire infrastructure bots that can help you give you an alert or a warning around the server uh, uptime or, or chances of things, you know, going haywire. So we do help in both the segments. From a Salesforce perspective, we primarily help more from a process and a functionality automation. Uh, the example I gave you was around call center. We have done a couple of RPAs around CPQs. We've done a lot of RPA around, um, we've got our own products around employability and, and, and tutoring, et cetera. We've done some sort of an RPA around that as well. It will be interesting. I think RPA is an area that, you know, Salesforce will look to like, bring more into the platform, um, I guess, with all of the, the consulting companies now looking at RPA. Is there like an RPA solution within Salesforce at the moment? Microsoft, yeah, so there are ways to build certain automations. We primarily work with on a different platform that gels and connects well with Salesforce, more from an RPA perspective. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch this space in terms of like acquisitions and things. It to... is. Yeah, it is. Uh, an RPA would, it's always been there, I would say. It's not that something new. Uh, the, the fun is in how do you use uh, multiple tech together to solve a problem. So RPA along with contact or service cloud engagements, RPA along with uh, maybe complex field service implementations, right? Can can bring in a layer of uh, better productivity outcome and uh, adoption. Nice. And you you mentioned another reason for your setting up and running of the business was because you want to enable more people. Mm-hmm. Now, 
we know there's um, a shortage of talent in the ecosystem. We're really feeling that pinch at the moment in, in Australia. What are you doing as a business to bring people through and, you know, not, not just rely on experienced talent, but new talent coming into the market? Yeah. So we're running a couple of programs within the organization to enable this pool of talent. And, and then the, the two key reasons, one, as you, as you rightly said, right, that there is shortage of talent in the market and that needs to be addressed. The second reason is uh, we're looking at them as someone who can come and bring in fresh school of thoughts around doing certain things in a different way. So what we've done is we've, the, as part of the program, we hire graduate, you know, engineering graduates or tech graduates. We train them, you know, there's a dedicated training that we do for them on different clouds. And then we, you know, kind of slowly engage them on projects where they can shadow and learn. So it's probably a good one-year program before they are, you know, something who can be deployed uh, on their own onto projects. But more than that, what we're also doing is we are trying to cross-train different technically skilled resources into Salesforce. So we are working on cross-training team with front-end, uh, good front-end knowledge. You know, someone who's worked on React or, or any good front-end framework, or someone who comes with Java background or Python background, trying to train them. We're also trying to onboard and hire team from, uh, or, or I would say, skilled uh, resources from Siebel background or, or any other similar tech, uh, similar to Siebel. We're trying to get people who comes with a lot of industry knowledge, right, and who can contribute more in ideation and bring in some school of thoughts around how does it happen on a verticalized solution as compared to uh, you know, something which is multiple platform and horizontal in nature. And there are different programs. So there are programs which is for one year, there are programs that runs for three months, there are programs that runs, runs for six months to enable the hired uh, resources with the right skills. And what we also do is we give them the right career path guides them around the type of certification that they can do. And one thing we don't compromise on with is uh, we don't put them onto any live project until they're ready. And when our definition of being ready is you need to be ready from a consulting mindset perspective where you can recommend and advise the customers, not where you can only code something which has been given to you. Sure, that must be, I mean, that's the challenge, right? It's getting them to that level. And I think um, it, there are companies out there that are having to rush that now just because of the lack of resources. And then uh, the, the value that's being added, I guess, is jeopardized. So yeah, I think that getting that balance right is because these people want to be on projects as well, I'm guessing, right? So you've got to, they're, they're keen to do it, but you've got to hold them back until they're in a position to add value. Yeah. So what we, so uh, as a company, our focus is consulting transformation, but we also have products. So what we do is we've introduced a couple of smart things like pair programming, where you know they can work on products with some senior, right? Senior can guide them and observe what they're doing, but we consume them first on our internal products. And so we, you know, you want, there are products that is primarily meant to be sold for the to customer. There are certain products which is used for our internal process automations and tools and you know delivery management. So we try to consume them for things like that. There are projects that's given to them. Then they come back, present under someone's supervision, but they go ahead, they go, for, and, and this is one of the 
expectation when they engage with us, right? That you would not be put onto live engagement until we feel you're ready. And, but we will support you to make sure that you are ready and we will give you a good amount of ample time training, but you need to spend time being, to reach to the level that is expected. Yeah, nice. So um, a lot has changed since you came into the ecosystem. How do you see the, the next few years playing out from a Salesforce ecosystem perspective and, and where the platform can go from here? So looking at the trend and looking at kind of acquisition uh, I've seen from the organization, so Salesforce would definitely continue to grow at the same pace for next, I would say, couple of years. But what's really important from the players in the market is the tech that is there being used today will not be the same tomorrow within Salesforce ecosystem as well. So we need to be first ready and accept the fact that there will be transformation and change from a tech and offering perspective. Need for upskilling would always be there. And as long as you are able to upskill yourself, there's a good growth in market. If you can't, then there will be challenges. Anything you work on today, for example, uh, the, the clouds around sales cloud, service cloud, slowly the, those clouds will become outdated and will be more like a commodity. And there are new clouds, financial services, manufacturing, which will which is, has come in and, and that option will increase. Two years, three years down the line, there could be something more that might come. So we need to be ready for the change. Product and the organization is going to stay for next 20 years. And the question is, if you players in the market primarily the ecosystem, if we all want to stay and you know grow at the same pace, then we need to be ready to adopt and grow. And uh, one thing that we all uh, we are focusing on primarily is we are looking at ways to make in most of the engagements that we are part of it, uh, where we are involved either via our offering, our product, or you know around implementation that we do. How do I make Salesforce as part of the implementation and the engagement? And, and I see that the investment even from the organization is in the right direction, which would enable us to do that. The fact that we are able to do it for a couple of organizations means that, you know, the, the product growth is there and product growth and stability is guaranteed for SI partners, for IC partners. It means that the growth is there even for them in coming few years. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey and, and your experience. And uh, I'm really excited to see how uh, how things continue to evolve for the business. And would love to see you in Australia at some point. Definitely, we're planning. We're planning to be there very soon. And I'll love to meet you there. Yeah, nice. And for anyone that's watching and wants to to reach out and uh, pick your brains or ask any questions, where where's the best place to, to find you? I'm always available on LinkedIn. You know, they can message me uh, on LinkedIn and then and we can pick up the thread from there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, we're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us.